This morning, we end our kind of long journey, not too long, through the Songs of Ascents. These are Psalm 120 through 134. And if you look at your Bibles, you can clearly see where each of these psalms at the beginning has the the little subtitle here, A Song of Ascents. The, The reason it has this is because these psalms make up kind of a smaller collection within our larger book of psalms. Out of the 150 psalms, here are 15 that kind of, in a way, run together. And they were probably collected because the Jewish people, as they made pilgrimage three times a year from where they were living to the temple in Jerusalem, would have had these psalms as as the ones they were singing, as the ones they were praying on their way. And so as they went up the mount to Jerusalem, they were ascending. So these are the songs of ascent. And we've seen throughout them that they make up some of the very basic things of not only the life of the Jewish people, but now the life of Christians. They begin with Psalm 120, calling us to repent, to to say no to the world around us and yes to God. They call us to have faith, to trust in God's providence, as Psalm 121 would lead us to do. They, they, They spark in us the desire, the need to worship God. It's the very basic thing we do, and to serve him, to see him as our help in times of trouble, as our security, to see him as the one who brings us joy, who who not only gives us work to do, but makes it possible, the one in whom, when we fear him and walk in his ways, we can be happy, as we see in Psalm 128. And when times are not so happy, we can persevere knowing that we trust this God. And that brings us the most hope. And it leads us to just be humble before his presence, that we might obey him, not because we have anything in ourselves to boast about, but because we boast simply in him. And it's in the community we find ourselves as those who are in Christ that we can have the utmost unity, because in all these things we are seeking God. And now in Psalm 134, we see blessing. Blessing to God and blessing to his people. Now that word bless or blessing can mean many different things to many different people. Maybe you growing up here were like me, growing up and hearing people, and maybe you still say this, oh, bless her heart. Now I don't know about you, but I've learned that that's not a good thing when someone says, oh, bless her heart. You know, that's just, I won't say the polite way, but it's at least the southern way of telling someone, you know, they're they're dumber than a box of rocks. (laughs) And so that's not what the scripture is talking about. The scripture is not, to my knowledge, ever sarcastic about blessing. And so in this psalm, like in many others, when we hear that word bless, we have to think about it in two different ways that run together. And the first is how we are blessed by God, and then how we bless God. So first, the blessing is from God to us. And when God blesses us, he, is, he may be adding something to us, 
You know, we talk about children as a blessing. Well, if you have children, that's a blessing you didn't have before. God is adding something to you. Uh, he might be adding, you know, more, uh, a better job or, or more income or, or whatever it might be. As Christians, we know that the greatest blessing we have is not the possessions we have or the circumstances we're given, but it's simply the fact that despite our utter and sheer fallenness and failure, Christ died for us. And so in that, we are blessed. So God might bless by adding to us or multiplying what we have. He might also do what some pastors would call a blessed subtraction, in which he takes something out of our lives that actually helps us, actually benefits us. You see, when God blesses us, something changes, whether it's our circumstances, whether it's our possessions, whether it's our identity to some extent. You know, if you don't have children and then you start having children, you go from being not a father or not a mother to being a father and a mother. That changes something fundamentally about who you are. In the same way that if you're a bachelor and you get married and become a husband, you're very different than you were before, or a bachelorette to a wife. So sometimes the blessings God gives us fundamentally change in some very life-altering ways who we are. But that is not how it is when we bless God. The scripture is very clear. God does not need our blessing as if he was lacking something that he needed us to make up. God, God is completely satisfied within himself as the one God who is existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He does not need us he is fully fulfilled. He is completely whole in and of himself. Our blessing to him, our praising him, our worshiping him, our serving him does not change God like his blessing to us changes us. And so when we bless God, it's not to make him better than he was before. It's not to give him something he didn't have. When we bless God, we are simply acknowledging by word and by action who God already was. We are simply saying, you are holy. We're not saying, God, become more holy. We're just simply acknowledging that's exactly who he is. We say, God, you are love and you are loving. We're acknowledging who God is with our words. And one of the wonderful things is that actually impacts us as well. Now, when we turn to this psalm, we look at verse 1, and it says this, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. If you'll allow me a, a quick side note, I think this is one of the reasons we ought to be reading the Bible, memorizing the Bible, meditating on the Bible, and praying the Bible. Because when I pray, when I think, when I feel, when I think said that twice, didn't I? I don't make all those prayers and thoughts God-centered. But if you look at verse 1, just in those, not even a full, complete sentence, you see the Lord mentioned three times. I mean, it's just a good reminder that one of the ways in our lives that we can put the, the emphasis off of us for just a moment to put it back onto God who actually deserves it is to be people who are steeped in the scripture, 
That was a side note, and it was completely free. Verse 1, it says, come. You know, you may not know this, you may not feel this, you may not acknowledge it, but you being here this morning was not a mistake. It was not a fluke of the calendar. Even if you didn't hear an audible voice, and I would kind of expect you didn't, the Spirit of God was saying to you, come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. God is calling us to gather and worship, and he's calling his servants. Uh, servants is a very common title for Christians, actually. We go to Paul's letters, and he begins his letters all the time saying, I am a, a servant of Christ. He's actually saying, I'm a, I'm a doulos. I'm a slave of Christ. I, I am owned by Christ. I have a good master. I am free, uh, not because I have no master, but because I have the best master. And so having Jesus as master and Lord, I am his slave. I am his servant. Everything I do is shaped by him. And I hope, I hope that each and every one of us is growing such that when we leave church on Sunday or when we wake up on Monday morning, our lives don't radically change. I hope that Monday through Saturday we live as servants of the Lord, not as mere converts, not as mere title bearers, but as people who are serving the Lord in our lives, such that Monday when I go to the office, or when I, I get ready to homeschool my kids, or, or when I go and visit my parents, I am seeking to serve the Lord in how I'm doing it. And this is something we see throughout Scripture, that we are to do our work as unto the Lord, as if it's a service not just to the people around us, but to, the, to, to God himself. You know, we see Jesus speak on that last day when he says that you didn't you know, feed me when I was hungry or clothe me when I was naked or visit me when I was sick or in prison. And they said, well, when, when did we even have the opportunity to do that? And he said, what you did to the least of these, you did to me. It, it's by the nature of being a follower of Jesus that we are servants of Jesus. This isn't a special privilege or title. It's not like apostle, which only really applies to Paul and a few other people. It, it's not like the term pastor that applies to only people who are called by a church to be pastors and elders and overseers. It's not even like the term deacon, which in itself means servant. It's simply the, the, the obligation we all have. When we're called by God, we're called to serve him. And we bless the Lord with our service, not adding to him something he needed, not performing a task he couldn't do himself if he wanted to or he couldn't do through someone else, but just serving him out of a complete thankfulness and gratitude for what God has done in Christ. And so blessing the Lord isn't just a Sunday morning activity, as if the only time that we could bless the Lord is when 100 people gather in a room. What a, what a foolish thing to think. But we can bless the Lord with every part of our lives and give every part of our lives to Him. You know, when we're working on our cars... You can be blessing the Lord. You can be serving the Lord. When we're keeping bees, you can be serving the Lord. When you're helping some old guy who needs a lot of help keep bees, you can be serving the Lord. I'm going to get in trouble for that one. 
And so day by day and week by week, we ought to be handing over everything we're doing as a service to the Lord, that it is blessing him, not as if a ramp couldn't be built without us, not as if a hungry person couldn't be fed without us, but knowing that if Jesus were there, these were the things he would be doing. I really do, uh, I, I studied philosophy when I was in college, I know, I, I'm so messed up because of it. No, and I have a friend who's, who's doing a PhD in philosophy and he studies ethics. And we've had a lot of conversations. The last time I talked to him I said, the longer I go on and the more I study, the more I really do think ethics kind of does boil down to what would Jesus do. And I, and I don't say that just as a trite, pastory, preachery thing. Like, I really do genuinely think that the more we study ethics, the more we learn that what it is to be an ethical person is to be a person who has virtue. And what it means to have virtue is to do what Jesus would do in any given circumstance. And so we bless the Lord by our service, by giving everything we do to him and changing how we do it. If you have a coworker who has the same job as you, and they are not a Christian, yet there is nothing different about how you do your job than them, I, I do think you're failing to bless the Lord in your service. If you have a neighbor who treats their neighbors the same way you do and they are not a Christian, either they're just an extraordinary neighbor or you might be failing to love your neighbor as yourself. If you have a family member who does not know Christ but cares for their parents or for your parents more than you do, or cares for your family members more than you do, I think we might be in those situations failing to bless the Lord as servants. There is something that is unique about being a Christian. At least there should be. And if we can't recognize that in people anymore, maybe somewhere we're not doing what we ought to be doing. So the invitation is these people who have been worshiping the Lord throughout their week, their servants of the Lord, would come and bless the Lord. It says, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Uh, it could be referring to priests who, who have to be, you know, working at the sanctuary or working at the temple all the time. It could just be that they are at the end of their festival. They have, they have come, they have sung the songs of ascents, they're about to leave, and so they are going to be at the temple as long as they can, even deep into the night, to bless and praise and worship the Lord. And that may very well be the picture we have here. And when they're there, what do they do? In verse 2, it tells us, it says, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. That's the kind of verse uh, that in the church I grew up in, we just would have skipped over. <laughs> I, I remember one time being at a, a, a choir practice after a Sunday morning, and someone had sang that previous morning. And one of the older ladies in there said, uh, the girl's name was Grace. She said, Grace, you did such a good job this last Sunday. When you were done, I just wanted to clap. See, she didn't feel comfortable clapping in church because this was the kind of church I grew up in. Stand up, you know, and we kind of, you know, maybe there's a few people who kind of sway, but that was about it. And, and I used to tell people when I was starting to hang out in the Baptist church, I used to say, you know, I just, because I went to a Baptist college and so I was around a bunch of university students and they would put their hands in the air. Uh, they would express themselves in worship. And I used to make a comment a lot, you know, we're not like crazy and, and too charismatic, but we, we can lift our hands up 
And sometimes I tell people that, and they'd say, I don't know what Baptist church you go to, but mine does not do those things. And so I have found out that y'all are not as uh, emotive as maybe I thought. But maybe we should be. You know, I worry that too often the reason people come to worship on Sunday with no joy and no desire to be there is because that's the first time they've worshiped God in a long time. They didn't worship him the night before or that morning or the Friday or any day since the last Sunday. And you know, what's more concerning to me, just as a matter of trying to be a pastor in this day and age, is that the average attendance for a regularly attending church member is once or twice a month. Now, yeah, that was, that was a groan. I heard that audibly. I mean, sincerely, you all probably remember a time when a normal church attender, a faithful church member, was at least three times a week. And in the real liberal churches, maybe it was two, and I don't mean liberal politically. But now we're in a day and age where if you're a faithful Christian, you may have woken up to go to church once or twice that month. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time thinking that is what faithfulness looks like. And I worry, I do worry, that we have a bunch of people in churches serving, making decisions, being seen as hallmarks, pillars in the church, who can't even find three weeks a month to come to church. I mean, really, and this is not me griping about people's church attendance levels, but just for a minute, help me think for a moment. How low does church have to be on your priority list that once or twice a month is enough for you? And I know you might say, well, I'm a New Testament believer. God doesn't live at church. Yeah, but I have a hard time thinking that if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you won't want to go to church to be with other believers. And and again, this might be the philosophy, the logical part of me, but if I were not employed at a church and I was not coming regularly, I said, I know God doesn't live at church, and I only went to church once or twice a month, and I didn't really desire or make an effort to prioritize church the rest of the time, I don't know about you, but the thing I would start asking myself is if it matters so little to me and my life does not change when I miss church. I would start to ask myself, okay, I know God doesn't live at church, but does he really live in me? And this isn't to pick on anyone or, or harp on anyone, because the truth is you could come to church every Sunday, and you could come to every extra meeting we have and not be in a better position with the Lord. If you come with griping, if you come with complaints, if you come with discontentment, if you come with an utter lack of joy, you're not better off than the person who comes once a month and raises their hands. Hallelujah. You really aren't. If we're going to bless the Lord as worshipers, maybe we should start worshiping. Maybe we shouldn't just depend on a prayer on Sunday or a pastor preaching or on a song leader song leader singing on Sunday for our worship. I don't know about you, but if I were to only worship the Lord on Sunday, I would not get a whole lot out of my Christian life. I don't think that I would be any closer to God that much at all. 
Really, we ought to be coming to church. You know, it's kind of like, I, I remember there was a television show, and the, the CEO or the, the business owner comes into the office, and, and there's, a, there's a woman there watching YouTube videos and drinking coffee and just like kind of chilling, and this is like 9.30 or so, and the office opens at 9, for example. And he comes up to her and he says, what are you doing? And she says, well, I'm just kind of warming up for my day. And he said, you should come to work already warmed up. I kind of think you should come to church already warmed up. If you're depending on the opening song, or if you're depending on a really good scripture reading, or a really passionate prayer, or friendly people for your worship of the Lord, I'd start to worry that you're not really relying on the Lord for your worship, but you're relying on everyone and everything else. And so in verse 2, it says, Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Are you able to lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord? Are you able to come here and be ready for that? Are you ready to come here? And what if the sound system wasn't working, the screen wasn't working, and everything was just falling apart? Would we really be in a place where we feel like we could bless the Lord? I worry too much we become so dependent on everything else that we have no songs in our heart, we have no prayers on our mind, we have no sermon to be preached if there weren't a professional preacher there. But it's good to bless the Lord. It's good to be a worshiper of the Lord. I mean, this isn't, this isn't a big newsflash. This is basic Christianity. When you are a believer in Christ, it will not stay a simple belief. If you are a true believer, it will not simply stay a simple confession that you made or a prayer that you said. It will become a part of how you live and approach every area of your life. And I know there are seasons where it does not go that way, but on the whole, I think we should be able to look at our life and see that our hearts have been strangely warmed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should be a people who, if nothing else, are known as people who worship the one true living God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not just that we come here on Sunday. That does not make us a Christian. It's not just that we got on the membership roll. That does not make us a Christian. It's not just that we walked an aisle and prayed a prayer. It's not just that we got baptized. It's not even that we got baptized as an adult. It's not even that we got baptized by immersion. None of those things makes us a Christian. The very basic thing that being a Christian is, is receiving the sheer grace of God in Christ and our hearts being warmed to worship him with everything we have. And where that is missing, I worry. I worry. But if we were to bless the Lord in our service and in our worship we may very well see the Lord bless us. And listen here, I'm not talking about new cars. I'm not talking about bigger houses. You know what? That could be part of it. But that's not what I'm talking about. Look at verse 3. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. We are not promised easy lives. We are not promised 
lots of toys. But when we worship the Lord, when we bless Him, we receive a blessing. Standing and saying, Jesus is Lord, changes us for the better. Saying, Christ is my Savior, changes us for the better. Singing songs that honor and glorify God changes us for the better. Saying amen after the prayers changes us for the better. Everything we do in our service together, in our worship of God, changes us for the better. And how does it change us? It makes us more like Jesus. So that no matter the circumstances, when we ask what would Jesus do, it might very well be our first impulse, not our last. And so if we are to receive a blessing from God, maybe we ought to bless God ourselves. It's not a contractual deal. I think the fact that God has blessed us in the salvation that we have through Jesus is the kind of blessing that changes us that we would naturally, our first impulse would be, or at least one of the many first impulses would be, to bless the Lord in how we serve all week long, how we worship all week long, that we step into this room with our brothers and sisters in Christ, prepared to bless the Lord in how we serve the other people in the room, how we love them, how we bear burdens with them, how we confess to them and pray for them, how we honor them, and how we worship the Lord together. And we should be worshiping the Lord together. This psalm is not just about you and your Bible or you and your bluegrass Christian album driving down the road. This psalm says, come, bless the Lord. Don't go stay on your own. And I know a little bit I'm preaching to the choir in the sense that many of you are people who value coming and worshiping together. But for some of you who may not, or so that you can share this with others, let's make very clear. Although you should have a great devotional worship, individual, family life, that cannot replace stepping in the room together. And God never intended it to. And we may very well get a blessing just simply by blessing God from him, from the one who made heaven and earth. If God made heaven and earth, he can certainly move mountains for you. He, he can certainly change your circumstances and bless you. And it may be that you stay in the job you do not like. It may be that you struggle through your marriage for decades. It may be that you are never blessed with children, but the Lord who made heaven and earth as we seek to serve and worship him, not to give him anything he did not have, but simply out of love and gratitude for what he gave us, that will change us to make us more like Jesus. And that's exactly what we should want. Let's pray.